This morning's scripture is found in Deuteronomy 34, 1 through 8. Then Moses went to Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab and climbed Pishka Peak, which is across from Jericho. And the Lord showed him the whole land from Gilead as far as Dan, all the land of Nephali, the land of Ephraim, and Manasseh. Terry called me last night, and now I know why he called me to have me do this. All the land of Judah extended to the Mediterranean Sea, Jordan Valley of Jericho, the city of Psalms, as far as Zor. Then the Lord said to Moses, this is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when I said I will give you your descendants. I have now allowed you to see with your own eyes, but you will not enter the land. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, just as the Lord had said. The Lord buried him in a valley near Bethpora in Moab, but to this day no one knows the exact place. Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyesight was clear, and he was strong as ever. The people of Israel mourned for Moses on the plains of Moab for 30 days until the customary period of mourning was over. Please bow with me in a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the moisture you've sent. We also thank you for the moisture that you will send in your time. We ask that you put a protection of, uh, over the weather. We ask that those people without homes are protected from the cold, from the wet weather. Give them strength to find a place of cover. Put your healing hands over their hearts, over their minds, over their bodies. Give them strength to be able to make it another day where we take those type of things for granted. We ask that you give us strength as we step out of this church and not be a warehouse of information. Let us take the information that you give us, guide those around us, and help those that we can. Thank you for downloading our podcast. Make sure to subscribe to get new ones every week. And don't forget to check out First Methodist Sweetwater's website and social media. Now, here is Pastor Ryan Strebeck. This text has always been an interesting text to me and also a little bit troubling. And if you've been around very long, you know that typically, I mean, I'd say a high majority of our sermons tend to come from the gospel readings for the day. Uh, you know, we're followers of Jesus, and so it would make sense that most of the sermons throughout Christian history are from the gospels. Uh, however, we preach through the Old Testament at times. We preach letters. We, you know, we want to preach the whole Bible. That's the goal. Sometimes we cover bits of it during classes and things like that. Where we have a little more time to talk about some of the things. And so I thought it was very interesting that this was the Old Testament reading for the day. And I just thought, my goodness, what a strange and difficult passage uh, to preach this time of year or with things going on. And we've got a baptism today. So how's this all going to work? And the more I looked at it and the more I sat with it, I thought this is perfect. This is a perfect word for us today to our baptismal candidate today. 
and just a great reminder about the nature of God. So, Moses and mountains. You can read the book of Deuteronomy and you can see the literal ups and downs of Moses' life. Moses would go up the mountain for a specified purpose and to meet with God and stay there as long as he needed to. He would come down the mountain, meet with the people. And then sometimes he'd have to go back up the mountain to meet with God again. And they go back to the people and all the ups and downs. Moses is called by God to go into the pit of Egypt. You know, he's called on a mountain. Uh, he's here at the end of his life at the close of Deuteronomy, at the close of the great five, first five books of the Bible, the Torah, and Moses climbs his last mountain. It's a beautiful scene. What happens on the mountain as Moses climbs his last mountain? Moses sees with his eyes a beautiful country. He looks north and he looks west and he looks east and you can just imagine the mountains that you've stood on and what you've been able to see whether it's you know, a 14,000-foot peak in Colorado or whether it's out in Mulberry Canyon, you climb up to the cross at Camp Butman and you can see out across the whole landscape. And it's the land that they've been looking for, the land that they've been longing for. And Moses sees the land that he will never travel in. He will never step foot in this land. This is the land of God's promise. It's the inheritance of God's people. And God had let Moses know ahead of time that this is how it would go. He reminded Moses that Moses broke faith along with Aaron, that they broke faith with God in the midst of working to be priests to the people. When they were at the waters of Meribah, they broke faith. It was one of those low moments. They failed to keep God's holiness among the people of God. And let me tell you, that was a hard job for Moses and Aaron. And they missed it. They missed the ball on this one. And with that, simply the consolation of seeing this vista of this beautiful land, Moses dies. And that's it. No one even knows where Moses is buried. Where is the fanfare? You know, where is the ceremony? Where is this big mess of family and being gathered to the people? This is what happened for our ancestors. This is what was supposed to happen for the patriarchs. There are three patriarchs that are named in the passage that Ken read for us. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These heroes of God, God had made a covenant with. They all received the dignity at the end of their lives of proper burial a proper goodbye, and they were all, if you read the book of Genesis, gathered to their people, right? Full of their days. It's just great close to their life. It's a nice benediction for all that their life has been. And it wraps it up in a nice tidy bow. Abraham gets to be buried beside Sarah. He's buried by his two sons. Isaac is buried by his two sons, Jacob and Esau. Jacob is buried by his sons who travel a little ways to have to bury him. You know, he gives them instructions and it's kind of like a lonesome dove scene where Captain Call, you know, he promises that he'll do it, so he does it. And he carries the body all the way back to Texas. We have a little bit of this going on in the Genesis narrative. Jacob is buried by his sons. And here is Moses 
the great shepherd of God's people. You know, the one who stuttered and was, didn't think he was the right person to go, and yet he was called and he marched right into the middle of the most powerful institution on planet earth, and he spoke God's word of hope and then of judgment. Moses, who carried the tablets of stone with God's very word to a people who were, to say the least, not very easy to represent. Here is Moses at the end of his life, and nobody even knows where he's buried. We can't even go visit his grave today. And okay, I mean, we can kind of see the wisdom. Moses and Aaron and God trying to avoid this becoming kind of a travel destination. You know, it wasn't, he didn't want Moses' grave to be a tourist attraction. He didn't want people coming back to visit some kind of shrine for Moses. What he wanted, what God wanted people to carry from the life of Moses was the word of God in their hearts that Moses had brought to them. So I get it. I get that we didn't want to memorialize Moses in the place of death. But still, why not a little more fuss? So it seems like Moses missed out a little bit, just as you read the story. But there's one more detail from this story that I think is important for us to remember. It kind of calls our attention to the nature of God at the burial scene of Moses. Hear it again. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. And he buried him. Who buried him? Is the question that we all ask. Who buried Moses? And the reader is left wondering in the middle of the mystery, no, surely not. Surely not the word of the Lord, according to the word of the Lord, and then he buried him. Are you trying to tell me that God buried Moses all by himself? Just like a special little divine burial right there in Moab? Can you see the nature of God in this burial scene? For Moses, who was going to miss out on the kind of burial we would have hoped for? God who did not allow Moses to walk in the dirt of the promised land, enters human history and he put his hands in the dirt and buried his servant, his friend, Moses. Is that not a comforting scene? I don't know how it happened. I don't know what it looked like. I don't think we could make a great movie scene out of it because we just don't know how it happened. But somehow, in some way, God himself saw to the burial of his friend Moses. And I just get goosebumps when I think about that, of the care that God gave to his servant, to his friend, right there at the end of his life. It makes me wonder how we sometimes think about the end of our lives and the comfort that we look for. What a scene. You know, the narrator tells us that at the end of Moses' life, his eye is undimmed, and his strength is unabated. And you know, some commentators, people talk about, oh, Moses had really good vision at the end of his life, and he could see a long ways. I'm like, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying they had good vision. He's saying he still had light in his eyes. The one that had seen God face to face, his whole life he'd met with God, that God knew face to face. There was the glow on Moses' face when he would come down the mountain, and the people would see it. The narrator says Moses still had that spring in his step. 
at the end of his life, he still had light in his eyes. You can see the thread all through the text that the Lord showed Moses through his eyes. I have let you see with your eyes. His eye was undimmed. And then we get this phrase face to face. I'm like, that's what they're trying to tell us. That Moses could still see. He could still see what was important in life at the end of his life. Moses we can see here, had a life of seeing God, of knowing God face to face. Uh, We remember the text, you know, that God spoke to Moses. God would often speak to Moses face to face as one would speak to a friend. So beautiful. Moses, the servant of the Lord. This is the first time we see this phrase, that Moses is the servant of the Lord. When he dies, this is what goes on his tombstone that none of us ever get to see. Moses, servant of the Lord. What a great way to go. At his death, Moses shows the marks of one who has walked with God. This is the governing summary that we get about Moses. The governing summary is not that Moses doesn't enter the promised land. I mean, that hits us pretty hard, but the governing summary that we hear at the end of Moses' life is that Moses walked with God. I think that would be a great obituary, you know? I'd be very happy with that obituary. I think we would all be happy with that obituary. Uh, You know, here lies so-and-so. His eyes were undimmed. He still had that spring in his step from a life of living with God. And here lies so-and-so, servant of the Lord. That's a great obituary. (laughs) You know, I hope hope that that could be as simple for my life. If that could be said at the end of my life, I'd be happy. I'd be grateful. However, it still kind of bugs us, doesn't it? It bugs me. It bothers me. The reader, the unfairness of Moses not getting to go step foot in the promised land. It's just not fair. Moses makes one big mistake, and he doesn't get to enter the promised land. He he gets to see it, but he doesn't get to walk. And I'm just thinking, this is just, man, I just don't like that. And I think we're meant to do that. When we read Deuteronomy, I think we're meant to say, what? What? Are you kidding me? Is this how it's going to go? The guy who did more than anyone else to make sure that God's people didn't die in Egypt and didn't die in the wilderness when they complained their lives away, the guy who kept them from false gods and delivered them to them, the very voice and the word of God over and over and over again, doesn't even get to put his feet in the land of the promise. I know the consequences are real, and the consequences are part of all of our stories of following Jesus, of growing in faith and breaking faith, increasing in faith, decreasing in faith. I get it. And like in the book of Job, the entire story, we know there's just some suffering in life that just will never make sense. We'll never be able to sit down and make a satisfactory equation out of it where we go, oh, okay, that suffering makes sense now. I can see it. Thank you for that. I can go on with my life. Some of it just stays with us, and it never makes sense. And so we stand on the mountain with Moses, and we look north, and we look east, and we look west, across the plains. You just see yourself now, just on a mountain, just looking out across your life, the landscape of the lives of those around you. And today when we look, I think we can see a set of eyes looking back at us. Can you see Jesus? 
Can you see the Son of God, who himself is the very promised land that we long for? Can you see Jesus on the cross, which is on a mountain? A mountain that he climbed for us. Can you see Jesus looking back through history, through my history, and through your history, from that cross? And from the right hand of God. As we look out at all the places that we will never walk, all the places we will never go, and the things we will not experience in this life, can you see Jesus looking back through all of that and catching us and reconciling and beginning to make sense for us through his sacrifice and through his redemption? of our pain and our loss and our limitations. This scene that we can see from where we stand marks our destination. That's where we are headed together. We are on pilgrimage together, being drawn to the promised land of Jesus. And we are welcoming pilgrims to walk with us along the way. We are priests, you and I, like Moses, like Aaron. We stand between God and friends of ours. We stand between God and fellow church members. We stand between God and our children. We stand between God and our closest friends. We stand between God and the people that live in our neighborhood that don't want anything to do with God. And we represent them to one another and we walk back and forth and back and forth and we get to know our neighbors and we get to know our God and we see God and we learn to know God, and we recognize that God knows us and delights in knowing us, and, and we learn that we delight in knowing our neighbors, and then we see in those relationships that the Spirit moves and begins to change things and grow us together and draw us together, and the church is sustained back and forth and back and forth. The church must be, though, as we know deep down, a place where we can share our stories. And it has to be a place where we can share the stories from our lives that include our heartbreak. And we have to be able to share those stories without over-explaining why. For it is sitting with these stories, like Deuteronomy 34, that we can experience the consolation of the cross, the consolation of our redemption the consolation of getting to see with our eyes what we were made for, who were we created for, and where we will finally live at the end of all things. This vision alone will satisfy us. As we turn our attention now to the sacraments that have been given to us as a gift to baptism and to Holy Communion, we recognize that these Sacraments are gifts. They are consolation in mystery for us. The sacraments of communion and baptism this morning carry us into the promised land. They carry us into that place that we've been journeying towards, which is simply the presence of God. We don't have to go, thanks be to God, to a particular part of dirt on the other side of the world to experience the blessings of God. But in fact, we can enter into the presence of God here today in the sanctuary, at home this afternoon, 
in our front yards, driving down the road, together with our families, together with our neighbors. And Brody, where's Brody? There you are, Brody. You're the man of the hour today, and I just have to say that it's very fitting today that on the day of your baptism, that it rained. Every time it rains, I hope that you feel the gift of the presence of God. Every time that it rains, I hope that we feel the water on our skin and we remember that the presence of God is closer than that which is on our very skin. And I hope it reminds you, hope it reminds me of the nearness of God and the consolation of God's presence. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.